Hi everyone, J.D. Hansel here. I am coming to you from December of 2016, and the recording that I'm about to present is from June of 2016. It's from all the way back in the summer, and at the time, The Muppet Show on ABC had recently ended, or at least the news that it had been canceled was recent, so Steve and I weren't quite sure what to do and we decided to get on mic and talk about something. And at that time, I had just gotten back from the Reason Rally, so I was in the mood to talk about science. So this show is going to focus on scientific things, not just in terms of science and pop culture, like science fiction, although that some of that is in here. But we do talk to some extent about real-life, real-world things that are actually happening in the sciences. So... If you're not interested in science, you may find this podcast episode a little bit boring. Or if you're offended at times when we are fully supportive of the opinions of the scientific majority, you probably won't be particularly interested in this episode. You may want to skip it. And that may have been part of the reason why we waited so long to release this episode, because it just didn't seem like it may be the most interesting things to our audience. I mostly just made this because it's interesting to me. So I thought maybe some of my listeners might, just might, have some similar interests. If you do, I hope you enjoy the show. But one thing I do have to warn you about is that because of how long it's been since we recorded it, somewhere along the way, Steve's audio track got lost. I think he sent it to me and then deleted it, and I didn't download it in time. I waited, like, months before I tried to download it, and by that time it was gone. So... I was a lazy bum there. I lost his original audio track that he recorded. Fortunately, I recorded a backup this time. So I do have a recording of Steve's audio for you to hear. So it will be a full conversation between Steve and myself, but it will not be in the quality that you're used to. That's all that I have to say. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. Listening to Let's Talk Whatever with J.D. Hansel. This week, let's talk science. Well, hi everyone, J.D. Hansel here. We are once again recording Let's Talk Whatever because they canceled our Muppet show. You may have noticed that if you follow my productions or Steve Swanson's productions. You may or may not have heard that little bit of uh, minorly important news about the, the Muppets TV show getting canceled. So... With Let's Talk Muppets out of the way, Steve and I get bored. We don't have lives. You may not have realized that, but we don't really know what to do with ourselves unless we get on mic and talk about stuff. So I am very proud and relieved to say that, cathartically, Steve has agreed to join me to talk about something on mic today. Steve, how are you doing? And here's another thing I don't understand, all right? So they're going to play at an outdoor concert at a music festival, and th we've never seen them actually play live. Have you? I haven't. Are they going to have a band just behind them? And who's going to be that band? Steve? Or, uh, Steve? What? Yes? 
Can we reel this in to talk about something other than Muppets, please? Other than Muppets? Yes. Um... You're, okay, so you, you remember that one time, back around uh, November or December or so, when we talked about Star Wars? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. What was, um, what was it called? Let's Talk... Um... Probably Let's Talk Star Wars, I think, was the... Inf- oh! That was yes, the... Let's Talk Star Wars. Boy, that was fun. That was actually was the informal show. title for it, by the way. I don't think that the show was called Let's Talk Star Wars. It was... I don't an... know, but it, it was a fun departure from, from our normal the, kind uh, of thing. The, the title was yeah. Put on a Jedi Robe Ken, I believe. Um, oh. Which I'm pretty okay. proud of. But yes, it was I a neat Ken. little... Departure. I miss Ken too. I miss Ken. Look, it's okay that they've canceled the TV show. I guess I'll get over that. As long as we get to keep the new characters, Ken and Gloria Estefan. If we keep well, those guys, then somehow my heart will go on. Gloria Estefan, I'm sure, will be sticking around. Ken, yes. I don't know. I'm looking up the Muppet Wiki right now to see mm. if Ken is actually there, because these are important questions. If Ken is on the Muppet Wiki. Yeah. Of course he's on the Muppet Wiki. Is he on the Muppet Wiki? If you threw a piece of cheese at Kermit the Frog, it would only take five minutes before that specific kind of cheese had a page on the Muppet Wiki. That's how the wiki works. According to the Muppet Wiki, Mm -hmm. Ken is the unseen boyfriend of Joan, Scooter's mom on the Muppets. Okay, good. We're fine. There's there's a Ken. And there is a Ken. Yes. But is there a God? Which is, I guess, what we're here... Is that what we're talking about today? I hope not. No, we're not. Okay, we do not good. need to talk about that. At least not much. We, we might have to touch a little bit on philosophy or religion or something like that here and there. But I was With actually you? thinking... Really? Gee. I, I know it's weird. I, I don't generally bring that kind of stuff up when we're off mic, Steve. So that may throw you off a little bit. Yeah, I kind of thought it might be nice to touch on that. I was hoping that today's show could be about science. 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 Science rules. Okay. Inertia is, a, is. inertia is a property of matter. Um, the sun is a massive incandescent gas. Let's talk science. Let's talk science. And before we do, we probably need to do that little bit of housekeeping stuff, like mentioning that you can listen to this podcast at jdhansel.com because it's not a Muppet show, so it's not at muppethub.com. Shoot me an email at me, M-E, at um, jdhansel.com, I guess, works, right? Uh, it's your website, yeah. I hope it does. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my website. Um, and uh, follow me on Twitter at jd11pc. I'm really not used to doing that kind of thing if it's not for Muppet Hub. I'm really thrown off. You can give your Muppet stuff, though, Steve. All right, well, sure. So I also host the MuppetCast podcast, which is over at muppetcast.com. My email address for questions about the Muppets, the Muppet Cast, or really pretty much anything else is me, M-E, at MuppetCast.com. You can also listen to me on the Backstage Podcast, which J.D. will be the, uh, I don't know about the next guest, but an upcoming guest on that show. He's already been a past guest, but you can find that uh, a couple places right now because, well, I'm in the process of moving that show off of its main website, which is still, for the moment, BackstagePod.com. But you can also find it at MuppetCast.com slash Backstage. Hmm. Very interesting. I did not know that you were going to have JD as an upcoming guest. That's really interesting. JD is going to be an upcoming guest, That's yes. great. How'd you swing that? I was actually almost going to spring that on you right now today, but I decided at the last minute not to do that. Uh-huh. 
because that would have been mean. Okay. And I'm not mean. So is backstagepod.com referring to, like, a pod person who lives backstage whenever you're recording a podcast? Like, are there pod people having a party, a la the Dark Crystal, behind you right now? No, no. It, it's simply because backstagepodcast.com was already taken by someone. Boy, we have a real problem with the website domain names we want being taken by other people. Gosh, we really do, yes. We do, yes, it's true. I was going to call MuppetHub.com Muppets.com, but can you believe someone took that? Ah, the nerve! It's unbelievable. Um, Jerks. And they're not even doing anything with... Never mind. Okay, let's, uh, <laughs> hey, let's get back to science. Yeah, uh, let's segue into our discussion of science with this happy little number that... You've probably all heard before, but we have to play it anyway. It's obligatory. Let's hear Yakko's universe. Everybody lives on a street, in a city, or a village, or a town for what it's worth. And they're all inside a country which is part of a continent that sits upon a planet known as Earth. And the Earth is a ball full of oceans and some mountains which is out there spinning silently in space. And living on that Earth are the plants and the animals and also the entire human race. It's a great big universe and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. It's big and black and icky and we are small and dinky. It's a big universe and we're not. We're part of a vast interplanetary system stretching 700 billion miles long. With nine planets and a sun, we think the Earth's the only one that has life on it, although we could be wrong. Across the interstellar voids are a billion asteroids, including meteors and Halley's Comet, too. And there's over 50 moons floating out there like balloons in a panoramic trillion-mile view. And still it's all a speck amid a hundred billion stars in a galaxy we call the Milky Way. It's 60,000 trillion miles from one end to the other And still that's just a fraction of the way Cause there's a hundred billion galaxies that stretch across the sky Filled with constellations, planets, moons and stars And still the universe extends to a place that never ends Which is maybe just inside a little jar It's a great big universe and we're all really puny We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney Though we don't know how we got here We're important part here It's a big universe that is a good song to open with, right? It is a good song to open with, Kind of yes. sets the tone, I think. I'm still waiting to hear it because I haven't heard it yet. Or did everyone else hear it and, and we're just pretending that we heard everyone it Everyone else heard it. We're pretending that we heard it. Oh, that was such a great song. I yeah. love every time I hear oh, it. Oh, man. Always yes. warms the cockles of my heart. That's what right, that song keep does. Keep it clean here, J.D. Jeez. All right. Okay. It's it's a term that is not... You know what? Never mind. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. So, I have a confession to make. When I was in school, as in, you know, like middle school, high school, all that stuff. Should you college, be college. telling this to a therapist instead of me right now? No, it's fine. Oh, this okay. is not the stuff that... that there, there are other things. This isn't that conversation. Okay. Yeah, this is not Good. that conversation. I'll, I'll have that conversation with you in the outtake reel. No. Oh, lordy. Just All to right. make you uncomfortable. You specifically, Too Steve. late. Okay. Sorry. When I was a wee little kid in school, I really didn't like science very much growing up. 
I didn't get it. I didn't get why it was interesting. I mean, as long as science kept working at making sure that cars go, planes fly, iPhones occasionally work, all that stuff, I was good. I felt like I didn't necessarily need to know every bone in the body, especially because even if I was tested on it, I wasn't going to remember it. I can't remember most of the names of most of the bones in my body, and so far it really hasn't affected me all that much. There's a Sesame Street. There's, yeah, there's a Sesame Street song about that. Oh, really? There is. It's it's on the Everybody's Record. Yes, the Count sings it. Oh, I will look into that. I had, it, of course, it's the Count. It's something creepy, so they had to give it to. And them. we're gonna play it right now. No, we're not. Ah, sorry, but we're not. Dang it. Yeah, wasn't I didn't really care for, much for DNA or RNA or anything like that. I didn't really get into it. Um, and I think that part of the reason why is because the way science was taught in school, certainly middle school, high school, and elementary school, was kind of paradoxically dogmatic in a way. Just say boring. For gosh sakes, just say boring. No, it's not so much about being boring as it is... Paradoxically dogmatic. I, I tell him this every week, folks. JD, never leave college. Okay. <laughs> no, but the thing is, it's taught in such a way that you can't question it. These are just the facts, and you just have to memorize them and then copy them onto a test. And yes, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's how school kind of works. It is. Um, I just don't think that that's really good for teaching people and making them really learn stuff that they can take with them. Memorizing... Also agreed. Uh, turning students' brains into clipboards for copying and pasting information very temporarily really just isn't good for much. And, of course, it penalizes the people who actually want to learn but have bad memories. By the way, that was the part that I would have told my therapist right there, because I, I have a bad mm. memory, and so I've kind of been a little scarred for... Never mind. Um, the important thing is, I think, that what I had to do over time, gradually, is come to an understanding that science didn't have to be that way, and generally doesn't work that way. Now, even when we did those little experiments, if you can call them that, in school, where, you know, the, the labs, you know what I'm talking about, Steve? I do, yes. For some reason, those were always set up in such a way that you could still be wrong. I mean, no matter what you found from your experiment, if it didn't match what you were supposed to find from your experiment, it's wrong. And that's kind of weird, I think, because that's probably not how science is supposed to work. Though, well, it worked that way for me because I was also very bad at science. Now, admittedly, I think that it's fair to say that if I got the science experiment wrong, that's not because I made some breakthrough that showed the science textbook was wrong. That's because the science textbook sucked at explaining what I was supposed to be doing. That's normally how that went down. I could never, no matter how many times I read it, I never understood exactly what they meant, and so I always messed something up. Um, so wait, what you're saying is, when you were wrong, it's not because you were wrong, it's because the book was wrong. Is that what I'm hearing? You know, a lot of times that is kind of how it works, yeah. Because that, it seems like maybe this is setting a precedent for the rest of your life. So when you got the math problem wrong, hmm. it's not because you were wrong. It's because the book explained it wrong. So, once in a blue moon, something like that is true, but it's usually just true with those experiments that are explaining what to do. So you're telling me when you look at your bank account balance, it's not hmm. that you have no money. It's that the bank is wrong in the way they're explaining 
your bank balance to you. Have you ever heard of a logical fallacy known as the false analogy fallacy? Because that's what's happening right now. Is that what's happening right false now? False analogy, indeed. Hmm. Now you know. And I think that kind of segues into how I changed my mind about science, because I came to realize that these tools of logic and reasoning and skepticism that are applied um, to science and that are really just the bread and butter of science, what makes it work, those can be very, very helpful in understanding, well, pretty much every area of our lives. I mean, I take skepticism very seriously now in a way that I didn't before. When I grew up, I didn't even know what skepticism meant. Um, and I think that we live in a culture that really doesn't want people to value skepticism in a way. I mean, just look at, look at any movie or TV show, and you'll find that it's always the person who believes faithfully in the weird thing who's right. Well, yes, that. And it's also the person, if you're talking about TV, the person who shouts the loudest. Yeah. Who, the person who can shout loud enough to go unchallenged. Okay, that person must be right. But very often, you know, th that crazy guy who says it's the end of the world, turns out he's right, it is the end of the world, because it's a movie. It, the crazy guy who says there are aliens invading, turns out it really is aliens, because it's a movie. And the rules right, of yeah. fiction are whatever is most interesting is what goes. And so, consequently, we're used to seeing all of these movies in which the skeptic is the one who ends up being wrong. So we don't really value skepticism very much in our culture. So I didn't really get it for a long time until I started really trying to reanalyze a lot of the things that I had grown up being taught, grown up believing without really knowing how to question them. And that's when uh, people like Richard Dawkins got me really, really, really intrigued about science. His, his little plan to talk about various things in philosophy and theology and stuff to kind of get people hooked in to what he had to say so that he would then make science enthusiasts out of them. That worked on me. Um, I should probably write him a letter to let him know that his plan worked. Um, he might appreciate that, or he might not. He may not care. He probably won't care. He probably won't read it. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, um, so that I think that kind of explains how I came to really appreciate science. I just, I, I love doing what research I can on skepticism, and I just love the element of solving mysteries that there is there, because, I mean, look, I love a good Sherlock Holmes mystery, that's interesting, but if someone is faced with the challenge of trying to figure out what the stars are made of, even though the stars are really far away, we're not going to go visit them and scoop up some of the star stuff and take it back to a lab, we're just not. So. How do we actually know the chemical composition of these stars? How would we know what elements are there? How do you solve that mystery? Science has solved that mystery, and in an astronomy class I took in college, we were actually able to get out some tools and see how that works. You guys can look that up. I'm not going to explain it all right here, because that would be boring, but you can look that up. And so I just think it's really... That would be boring. Yes. I'm not going to give you a science class here on this podcast, but... I think it's really, really cool that there are all of these tools out there that we've been using for a very long time that go largely ignored, I think, for keeping ourselves from being tricked and fooled and for solving strange mysteries and then ultimately creating cool things like my iPhone and the computer or other device that you are listening to this podcast on right now. So that's kind of an idea of where I'm coming from here. What, what, what are your thoughts or feelings on science, Steve? Science is good, mm -hmm. 
And uh, I can I actually can tell you that um, you, know, you talked about studying the origins and the content of the stars and everything. And I can tell you <clears throat> that out here where I live, um, there are also you know increasingly cool tools uh, evolving all the time. And the stars seem to be made of less and less organic matter as they age. Um, but we're probably talking about a different kind of star in that conversation. Yeah. Um, I, you know what, I, I am not admittedly as knowledgeable about philosophy and science and all that kind of stuff as you are. Um, I'm a great fan of science. I'm actually more of, of a fan of the science of the brain and Mm-hmm. the mind and the human body. Yeah. So um, that's really where I'm coming from, whereas you're coming from a more philosophical standpoint. Like right now, I'm in the midst of kind of developing some things um, for my own personal nutrition and weight maintenance and all that because uh, that's that's something that I'm kind of passionate about. So right now, I'm learning a lot about uh, you know various chemicals that we need, nutrients every day, and what can we ingest that gives us that and not the harmful side effects that a lot of the other kind of processed foods and things of that nature that we eat. Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. And I know that's not quite exactly what you were thinking about in, in your production. So, Well, hey, that's all fair game. I think that that's the science of the mind and the body are important and relevant and of interest to this. So it's nice that you can bring that different perspective to the table. Well, it's it's... It is because it's sort of the difference of the machinery of the universe versus the machinery of the body itself, you know. And of course, if we don't have our own little personal machines that we're running here, we can't do a whole lot to study about the machinery of the universe itself. So yeah. maybe that that all does kind of fit in there. Hmm. Yeah. And then of course, there's the fact that we are made of star stuff. <sighs> yes. Apparently, we are made of star stuff. That's I. I'm sorry. It's just that's the. Who term. said that? Wh- whose quote is that? Carl Sagan. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Who did the uh, award-winning documentary series The Cosmos? Yes. And also, I, I recently found this out. He he and his wife wrote a science fiction book called I think it's Contact or First Contact or something like that, which was then adapted into a movie that I have got to see. I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to see it soon. Um, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Oh. Yeah, Back to the Future okay. guy. Pretty cool. Yes. Um, I, 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 I hate only saying Back to the Future guy because I'm also thinking of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, among other things. And oh, yeah. I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I do, too. It's one of those movies yes. that I can watch um, pretty much all the time. It can just always be on in well, the background, and I find new ways of appreciate it, appreciating it all the time. I always enjoy it. I hope you can come out here uh, and visit before they close the Toontown area, because y- you may or may not know this, but in the Disneyland Park, there's a one of the lands is Toontown, yeah. and it's like, and it's designed to be like walking through Toontown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, everything looks like that squash and stretch kind of yeah. Uh, style and there's even a Roger Rabbit ride. You would love it. Oh yeah, I got to see the Roger Rabbit ride. You really do because it's it's going away. But oh, it is. When is it going away? Yeah. Well, I I don't know, but mm. they're bulldozing Toontown to make room for Star Wars Land. You know, there's something kind of ironic that they have designed Toontown from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and now they're going to bulldoze it to make way for the future. I know something yeah. a, something a little odd well, about that. 
also in Toontown is Mickey Mouse's house, which you can walk through. Like, yeah. that's where Mickey lives. And they're bulldozing it to make room for Star Wars land. I thought so, he also had that in Disney World. No, that's gone. That's been gone for a long time. Really? Really, yeah. Like, okay, yeah. The last time I was in Disney World was like 2008, so that's probably when I'm remembering that from. And it was just after that, yeah. Hmm, wow. I mean, yeah. But you go to Disney Maybe, maybe right after you left. So, yeah. so. Hmm. Well, you know, my, my favorite um, spaceship in all of science fiction is the golf ball. I'm kidding. It's I'm not, just pushing your buttons. I'm just pushing your buttons. I had to. You do are it. pushing my buttons. I had to do it. Sorry. Jerk. All right. Yeah. Well, pushing buttons is what scientists do, right? That's that's what all the people at NASA do. That's what George Jetson does every day. Yeah. Let's transition out of this into something that's actually sensible. We are never going to get through this show. We're, all we're right, probably let's do it. not here. Here, here's a little something from uh, one of the most influential shows I think on me, and that it really shows how well you can do very funny, clever, educational television at a level that's um, above Sesame Street in the sense that it's got an intended audience that's a little bit older than Sesame Street. I'm, of course, talking about Bill Nye, the science guy. Great show. Here's a little clip from that. We're back with a few little lists that I had in mind because, uh, Steve, do you remember a segment that I did in one of my podcast episodes that was, um, I, I don't know if you'd remember this very well, I don't think it pertains to you, but I did something called the Muppet List segment in which I just gave a bunch of my favorite Muppet lists, like a loaf of bread, container of milk, stick of butter, things like that. You remember that? Uh, I, I remember my version of the Muppet Lists from my show, but you also did Muppet Lists? Well, I just did one when I was parodying your show. That was Oh, all. oh, okay. Yeah, yes. That's all. I, re I remember that. Boy, that was a great show. I'm going to go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, we, we have got to do something together if we can ever meet up in person in which we either sit down and listen to the Muppet Cast parody episode and talk about it afterwards or talk about it during it or get our turn on a camera and get our reactions or something like that. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't want you to just, you know, go and listen to it again right now and then ruin what reactions we might have. But it has been over okay. a year uh, since that came out. Um, yep. And it's Still been, one of my it's, favorite things ever. It's been almost a year since we... I'll bug you about that later. Okay. I'll All bug right. you about the Sesame Place trip some other time. For now, uh, I've, <laughs> I've put together a little list of some of my favorite moments from some of my favorite science guys. Um, of course, we all, all right. know Bill Nye, and I think many of us are pretty familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's done a really great job recently at educating people about 
well, uh, just about science in general. And he's a neat figure because, um, well, I've recently been listening to him talking with Sam Harris on the Waking Up podcast. and Oh, I need to resubscribe to that. Yeah. and Love Sam Harris. And they were talking a bit about how uh, Tyson tries very hard to stay away from, you know, uh, being too associated with a political party, being uh, too associated with any theological stance or anything of the sort. Um, he even hardly ever talks about race, hardly ever brings that up, even though a lot of people would probably want him to talk about that because he has the unique perspective of being one of the few famous black scientists out there today. Um, so it's, it, it is interesting when he talks about that. It's a neat discussion if you ever get the chance to listen to Sam Harris um, and Neil deGrasse Tyson talking yeah. about that. Um, and so you probably know Bill, you probably know Neil. Uh, you may be familiar with people like Carl Sagan, who did the original Cosmos documentary series before Neil actually uh, sort of rebooted that more recently. And, and there are other scientific figures that we could talk about, like uh, Stephen Hawking or Richard Dawkins or whoever. We all have all those people that we really like in the scientific world, or I think most of us do. There's there's Brian Greene, and then you're a fan of someone who I guess is probably not normally considered a scientist, but science is certainly a huge part of his work. Um, you got me introduced, actually, to The Amazing Randy. Yes, I did. About a year or so ago, I watched a Netflix documentary, which I still think everyone should watch, mm -hmm. called An Honest Liar. And it's about James Randi, who also has uh, gone by the name um, The Amazing Randi, because he's a pretty well-known magician, or was back in his day, uh, which was the 60s and 70s on the variety show circuit and things like that. Uh, very, very talented guy, but he also saw how people who are, well, people who claim to be psychics, and where I'm not going to start a discussion about if someone who's psychic is really psychic or not, but people who claimed to be psychic and were shown to uh, to not possess that power because James Randi could essentially demonstrate exactly how these people performed the feats that they did. And he would go on the same variety shows that these... The, the, I almost said these psychos. He would go on That's the same fair. variety shows that these psychics were going on and it would sort of follow their act in some senses where they would come on and, and do their thing that they, that they do and then Randy would come out and sort of demonstrate exactly how they did it and do it himself. So uh, it's, it's a great documentary. There's a lot more to James Randy than is just contained in that documentary. In fact, he has his own YouTube channel. There's a lot of great YouTube videos out there if you want to see some of this TV footage. And so, yes, I introduced JD to, uh, to this documentary, which I, I think he watched. And you sort of took the ball and really ran a lot farther with all of this than I did. Uh, heading out to D.C. recently, and I think you got to see him speak, didn't you? I did, yes. I have a recording of that, and I might play a little bit of it later in the show for you if you're so interested. So jealous of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I tried the, to the man is out. four feet tall, but he is a giant. If you ever get to see him, I mean, his, his presence, um, his intellect, the, his, his manner of speaking, he, just, he makes you interested, he makes me interested in the things that he's saying immediately. Yeah, and I think the there are two main reasons why I bring him up. The first, of course, is a part of that documentary in which he um, b basically has this elaborate scheme in place that's fooling and tricking all of these scientists um, in a way that's just so brilliant and brings 
I'm sorry. I, I can't even, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to ruin it. I'd give more I detail, know, right? but I don't want to ruin it. You just got to see it. Um, and, and so anyway, yes, he has been a liar in the sense of fooling scientists for a good cause, um, for good reason. He's really cool in that sense. And he also deals a lot with some pseudoscience out there involved in medicine, because in the field of alternative oh, yes. medicine, there's a lot of crap out there right now. Oh, God. It's very yeah. concerning. And so you'll see. I've seen a lot of that with, with what I'm doing with, with nutrition mm. and a lot of claims that get made. And it's like, it's, it's amazing. You know, people always say, and we won't really get on a, a tangent here, but, um, you know, people make a, a point to buy things and say certified organic or, or things like that. And there, there are no standards for that. I mean, this, this, the standards are very, very lax. So um, I've actually gone to not really being all that concerned about buying organic because the there, there's you can claim much like in bad science you can claim just about anything and get that little sticker and people trust what you say because you say it and because we don't all have time to go out and, and do our own homework that that's just not how life works so we wind up trusting a lot of times in in bad science and so luckily there are guys uh like who we're talking about here who make it entertaining and make us want to learn more and make it really easily digestible because I think a lot of the times no pun intended. we don't do right th thank you we we don't do our own homework because we look at a subject or we look at a topic and go oh that there's so much to that there's that, that's too hard for me to understand it's just it's easier if someone else figures that out for me and well yeah sometimes that's true but in, in a lot of cases uh, it's it's really not all that difficult yeah it, it's always interesting to me when people who are very focused on healthy living, which of course is a noble cause, um, end up getting really wrapped up in trying to eat stuff that's all natural and only natural because apparently all chemicals are bad for you. But of course the funny part of that is everything is chemicals. Exactly. Everything that is complete is and chemicals. total horse hockey is what it is. Yes. So there's, there's a lot to talk about in, uh, in that field that I think in different ways matters to both of us. Um, and so it's nice that people like Randy have addressed that. I've got three neat, uh, interesting moments from some of these science guys out there that really stand out to me that I wanted to list right now. The first one is, right. is kind of a cheat because it's not really a specific moment or talk. It's just something that's been out there released uh, in the form of various articles being copied around from place to place, even though it is, you know, it is accurate. But I, I don't know if I've ever heard him saying it specifically. I'm talking about Carl Sagan's baloney detection kit. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's something that's just kind of been out there. And it's not like this is, uh, is um, unverified. Like, we're all pretty sure that this is actually coming from Carl Sagan, as opposed to, you know, stuff like riddles that people say were made by Albert Einstein, even though there's no reason to believe that they were actually made by Albert Einstein. Um, and so, uh, Sagan's baloney detection kit is just this really handy list of little uh, tricks in skeptical thinking, the kind of things that scientists will want to think about that can help you keep from being fooled by, um, well, certainly by a lot of the people who James Randi was taking on. And actually, let me see if I can bring up the kit right now. I don't have it open, but I can probably find it pretty fast. 
Yeah, it's it's around in a lot of places. Oh yeah, it's it's out there. Okay, so it, it's yeah, it started with the fine art of baloney detection, which is an essay that he wrote um, against pseudoscience, and so he goes through a lot of these logical fallacies. Ad hominem, of course, is a famous one, and some of these I have a hard time remembering actually. Uh, the slippery slope, um, confusion of correlation and causation, straw man. Um, statistics of small numbers. That's an interesting one. Forgot about that. Using small mm, numbers yeah. in order to report... Oh, that's what it's called. I know this concept. Yeah. Using small numbers in order to report large percentage increases. Um, there was someone out there recently who... Maybe it wasn't recently, but I think it was within the past five, ten years or so, who had actually tricked a lot of people by putting together... It was sort of like an essay, but he tried to release it as like a scientific press release in which he presented his study that supposedly proved the health benefits of chocolate. Do you remember this? Uh, I've well, that that moment has happened several times, but yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember the specific instance that you're talking about, though. No, because there there was an article I read about it that he had written, um, and I think I think I may have found that because you either either you shared it on Facebook and I saw it that way, or I shared it to you. Um, but I think that same fellow who wrote that was also on, um, Adam Ruins Everything, which is a really neat show out there. That's a great show. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I'm very happy to see that one, uh, is getting a second season. That gets a second season. Muppets something. Well, uh, Adam Ruins Everything does, uh, while the Muppets did deserve a second season, so does Adam Ruins Everything, so I'm not going to gripe about it, because at least one of the good shows from the past couple of years has gotten a second season, so that's something to be happy about, right? Maybe we could just combine the two. We could combine the two shows. The Muppets <laughs> ruined everything. Uh, well, you know, I think if that's what the show was called, the Orlando Weekly would love it. I think it's probably true. Yes. Um, inside joke. But anyway, yeah. So he he was able to use just a really really small sample size, just get together a very small number of people, and give them chocolate or something like that and then monitor the effects and of course when you have that many people then just randomly for no reason at all you're going to see some kind of a percentage difference and so then of course he focuses on that and says we saw this percentage difference with our group um and he was was tricking people so that he could expose how the media latches onto these things because then plenty of magazines and and uh, websites and different I guess, I don't know if it was radio shows or TV shows or podcasts or morning shows or what, but a lot of people just latched onto it, didn't do their research. They could have easily looked into it and uh, found that, you know, he wasn't coming from a real science organization. He was just coming from a website he'd made up. Um, but no, everyone kind of bought it. And this idea that everyone should eat chocolate spread around for a little while in certain circles. Um, because a lot of the media outlets that we trust are not actually doing their research and using the tools of skepticism that we have to check for this kind of trickery. Um, well, who doesn't want to believe that chocolate is... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, actually, I think he focused specifically on bitter chocolate because of this right, idea right. Um, that's so popular right now that if something tastes bad, that means it's healthy. And if something is healthy, that means it tastes bad. Well, there's... There's that, but a better way to, to, to think of it, and actually a more rational and, and true way, is if it tastes good, spit it out. Because I, I 
and I, I talk about nutrition every and all that kind of stuff. I also just had a, a double royal red robin burger yesterday. So, you know, you can, but I don't have any illusions that anything in that was good for me. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, hey, you probably got a tiny bit of protein, but there are better ways to get protein that don't, you know, absolutely kill yeah, your body yeah. that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I actually had a, a phys ed teacher at one point who said McDonald's is death, and I don't think I'll ever forget that. Wow, that's a strong I know. There. McDonald's is death. It's such a strong statement, and that's why nice. it really sticks with me. It is, it, it's nice. It kind of shocks you. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's certainly not food, but yeah. it's death. Wow. <laughs> Did you have something to throw on this list? Well, so why don't you go through your three first, and then I'll do my three. So are, are you done so, with your three? No, the, the, I, I kind of went through the one. I, I rambled too long. I'll keep the other two too short. But I'm getting the impression that maybe okay. you just didn't really do your homework before this. No, I, I'm doing it right now. So Okay, yeah. that's not how this works. It's how well, it works well, for me. Uh, yeah, well, that's how okay. I got through my science class. See, yeah. see, when I was in high school, if I had homework that was due at the start of class, that didn't mean I would do it during that class and then turn it in at the end of the school day. Well, see, un- unlike you, I am not any longer in school or in academia. I'm, I'm also not uh, 18 years old. I'm not uh, 18 years so, old, so... Oh, I'm sorry, 19. Okay, I'm not 19 fine, years but, old. In any case, let's let's go on. Let's go on. So there's a neat clip out there. This is kind of a cliche choice in a way because a lot of people bring this clip up all the time. Uh, but there's a great little clip of uh, Richard Dawkins trying to explain really why it is that he trusts science so much. Because a lot of people out there um, will make the case that people who are science enthusiasts have this blind faith in logic and reasoning in science. And... His response to that is something that I can't really replicate it. It's just his delivery of it um, is, it's it's kind of become iconic, I think, in certain circles, certainly in the circles that I follow. So I'm just going to play that clip here because it's so short and then move on to the next list item. All right. You both said, and I think most people here would agree with you, that we're justified in holding belief if there's evidence for it or if there are logical arguments we can find that support it. Uh, but it seems like this in itself is a belief which would require some form of evidence. And so if so, I'm wondering what you think would count as evidence in favor of that. And if not, how do we justify choosing that heuristic without appealing to the same standard that we're trying to justify? So how, how do we justify, um, as it were, f- faith that, that, that science will give us the truth? Is that the place? How do we justify scientific method? Yes. Um, what he said. It works. It, it, it works. Um, planes fly, cars drive, mm. computers com- compute. It's an inductive argument. Um, <laughs> um, if, if, you, if you base medicine on, on science, you cure people. If you base the design of planes on science, they fly. Um, if you base the design of rockets on science, they reach the moon. It works. Bitches. <laughs> The third thing that I'd like to bring up here on this little list of cool moments from Science Guys is actually, it's kind of a cheat because it's not just a moment, it's a whole panel. If you go online and look for the storytelling of science, that was the name of the panel, they actually got a whole bunch of science people together. I mean, let's see, they had Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, I think Brian Greene, 
uh, Dawkins and Krauss, of course, and they had a science fiction writer as well who actually strives for some amount of scientific accuracy in his work and borrows from real science when he's writing. Um, and they also had a woman there who I believe organized or organizes a big uh, scientific event that's designed to get children more interested in the sciences. And I, I wish I could remember a bit more about it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I have to rewatch it. But you can easily find this on YouTube. Just a neat discussion in which... Actually, it's not so much a discussion. They, they talk with each other a little bit, but for the most part, they just kind of let all these people give a story about their experiences with science. And one of the highlights of this that really stands out to me is when, for whatever reason, at a certain point when Neil was talking, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I mean, just to clarify, Bill Nye actually gets up and tackles him. <laughs> You've just, you have to see this. I wish I could play it on a podcast, but it's hard right, to yeah. play a tackle on a podcast because it's well, a physical. Well, just put a link to the video in the show notes so I, people can click I over and watch it. I will put a link to the video in the show notes. I'll probably have that link going to the time just before the tackle, but you should probably watch the whole video if you get the chance. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Steve, did you have anything to add? So I, I thought, I don't have necessarily specific moments in science that I could list as, as my favorites, but I can list three of my favorite scientists ever. Okay. You want to hear. Them. Cool. Okay. So, um, well, I'll, I'll start chronologically. Mm. Um, so going back to, uh, the days of the dinosaurs, I would have to begin with Mr. Lizard. Ah, who, yes. uh, conducted a lot of different, he, he was sort of a, a television scientist, but he brought science to kids and really to families, it was, it was a, a nice family-oriented TV show, um, but uh, a very explosive environment in which he cultivated. And um, his perennial assistant, Timmy, was the one who always got blown up. And so this is where we get the catchphrase, which has survived these thousands of years in television entertainment. Uh, we're going to need another Timmy. Yes. So I thought that was a good one to start with. Um, the brain. I'm mm. uh, a fan yes. of... The brain is an organism, but I'm also a fan of the brain. Um, I, I call him a scientist. I don't know about oh, many other people. Certainly but... a, a, a mad scientist, but definitely a scientific genius right, in his own Right, thank way. you. Yes, I, I mean, a, a genius in his own time um, with aspirations, as so many scientists, uh, I think, have of world domination. Right. Well, because and, science um, is evil, as we all know. So Science is of course. It, we've... we've kind of neglected to mention that up until now but we might as yeah. well just come out and say science is evil right so it seeks um, to brainwash you it does and so the brain comes along with all these fantastic inventions and devises method after method i mean every single day is the build-up to uh to the evening's plan and of course the the phrase what are we going to do tonight the same thing we do every night pinky try to take, take over the world, world. Right, so so the brain is my number two, mm. um, and then of course, I would be remiss in the context of any serious discussion about science if I neglected to mention. Oh, perhaps I'm the sorry. I'm afraid it's time for our commercial break. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Go ahead, Doctor Bunsen Honeydew, of course. Shocker. And his assistant, wow. Peter. I mean, so many great inventions. I was expecting Phil Van Neuter. You really pulled a fast one on us, Steve. Well, come on. Okay. Now, how, I mean, his, his catchphrase was finding ways to bring science safely to you. And that's what he did for years. When I was mean, that his have, catchphrase? 
Um, for for most of the early appearances, actually. Mm. Um, but um, so he's well, he brought us the first living three dimensional character in Waldo. Um, Wait, edible paperclips. Wa- Waldo was his invention. Yes, yes, it was. Oh. Um, and of course the um, the super glue that he invented with with Gilda Radner mm. and um, the uh, well, I mean from the from the Muppet movie, the enlarging pills. Yes. So, I mean, one of the, those are, I, I would say, probably three of the more brilliant scientific minds that I have admired through my life. Hmm. Wow, you're just really desperate to make up whatever crap you can here, aren't you? I'm very, I, I think I'm doing well, though. Yeah, you I know what, Steve? You're, you're doing all right. We're hanging in there. It's, I, I think so, yeah. It's, it's going fine. I think we've got a fun show. But in all seriousness, we are going to take a little bit of a break right now. When we come back... I'll give you just a little clip from the show Star Talk, just a tiny little one to set us up for talking about some of our favorite, or I guess my favorite, since Steve didn't do his homework, uh, scientific discoveries and innovations, and also some of the myths that science has recently helped us to debunk. So the what? The uh, myths, myths. And yeah, we just need someone to come around the corner. That's so sad. And we'll be right back after this. It's time once again to Ask Dr. Science. So let's ask Dr. Science. That's me. Remember, he knows more than you do. That's right. Barbara Smith from Portales, New Mexico writes, Dear Dr. Science, I'm a travel agent, but I still don't understand what makes an airplane fly. Can you help me? Of course. Airlines go out of their way to make flying a pleasant experience. Free magazines, peanuts and coffee, music on the headphones, nutritious airline food. They give you these things because the true source of aerodynamic lift is faith. When the flight attendants chant their mantra about seat belts and exits, nobody really listens, but the message sinks in subliminally. We do keep our seat belts fastened even after the head aviator, or is it Avatar? The captain turns off the seat belt sign. It's the reassuring smile of a stewardess that keeps the plane up, not the wings. And if they didn't give us those dinky little pillows or show us those feel-good Hollywood movies, well, we'd get depressed, and the whole shebang would drop like a rock. Thank you, Dr. Science. Send your science questions to Ask Dr. Science. Remember, he's not a real doctor. I have a master's degree in science. Well, we're back now, I think. I hope. Are we back, Steve? Yes. Yes, we are. We're mostly back. We're we're back enough to continue. Uh, We're here, but I just wanted you to know that we'll be there, too. Man, I messed up the line. Rats! You know what I was... Can you appreciate what I was trying to do? Yes. Okay. Anyway, so, scientific discoveries and innovations. They're kind of cool. They're kind of important. I like my phone and my computer and all that stuff, but there are some other interesting things that we've figured out um, about the future or figured out how to do lately that I think are interesting. I'm just going to mention a few real quickly. One of these things, actually both of these things, I heard listening to Star Talk. That's why I wanted to play a little clip from that. Um, and yes, in that clip, he was talking with the Mythbusters, so I'm about to get to the myths in just a moment. But The, the what? The, shut up! <laughs> anyway, yeah, so one of these things that I heard is that it would appear now that at a certain point, as the universe is expanding... As, and we all know from Annie Hall that the universe is expanding. And from the Monty Python song. 
right? At a certain point out there, at the edges of space-time, space-time can actually melt. I have no uh, idea what that would look like or be like. I don't know how that works. Yeah. They actually joked on the show that we'll be able to drink space-time in no time. But uh, I, I don't know how that works, but that's just such a strange concept to think about, of, of, the, of space and time themselves melting. So I'm curious to learn more about that. And I'm interested in seeing where that goes in the future. But a more yeah. tangible thing that we know um, is something called spider goats. Would you like to take a guess at what spider goats are, Steve? Um, I, I have nothing outside of the, the comedic mental image of eight-legged goats. Exactly. No. That's what comes to mind for all of us. And right. so prepare for the inevitable disappointment. I think... Oh, man, I accidentally typed my list wrong, so I also have... You're making me wait too long for the disappointment. Come on. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so the idea is um, spider silk is something that would be very valuable for us to farm, except farming spiders is really hard. How do you farm spiders? They're spiders. And creepy. Yeah, that's also very creepy, so we don't want to do that. So what scientists have been able to do is actually take... Um, I think it's... I can't remember if it's the proteins or a portion of the DNA from spiders and actually put that into goats who will then produce spider silk that you can sift out of their milk so that you can farm spider silk from goats. <sighs> yeah, there it is. There's your disappointment. There you go. There it is. So now we're, we can all go home disappointed because JD ruined everything. But if you would like to pretend... That's the new... JD ruins everything. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Or JD sure. ruins the Muppets. We could do... No, never mind. Oh, gosh. <laughs> JD and we Adam already, ruined already, the Muppets. We already did a good job of that. But. We, we did. We have spent so many years thoroughly ruining the Muppets for people. Thoroughly. It's yes. our calling. Methodically. Yes. So as far as the myths go... Here's an interesting one. I, as long as m many other people, have heard for a while this idea that mosquitoes will go after people who have sweet blood. But this idea is just bogus. There's just nothing to that, really. There's no real science there. What mosquitoes ah. are really interested in is different bacteria, because apparently everyone has different bacteria that live on their skin. And the different types of bacteria, the, the mix of the different kinds of bacteria that you get, they're going to vary from person to person to person to person to person. I, I don't know that, I mean, it's probably not different, completely different for every single person. There's, pro I'm sure, there's surely overlap. But there are going to be some combinations of bacteria that are more interesting and appealing to mosquitoes than others. And so they're going to land on that skin with that bacteria. So it's not so much the blood itself as it is what's on the skin. Creepy, huh? Very. Yes. Yeah. Even creepier than farming spiders. No, not that creepy. Nothing is as no, creepy as... No, there's nothing creepier than that. Next week on Let's Talk Whatever, Steve and JD farm spiders. Um, but anyway, the second thing, second myth I wanted to debunk, I forgot to write down. Um, I accidentally wrote down spider goats a second time, which I meant to put in the other column. That has not been debunked. This is a real thing. There are really those... Anyway, sorry. My point is, have you heard this idea of... Um, who am I kidding? Everyone's heard this idea. There's not even a question about it. The idea of people who are left-brained or right-brained? Yes, of course I've heard that. There actually really isn't much real science to that. The, mm. This 
this Let's talk about that. Yes, from what I have been reading more recently, it seems that yes, there are some functions that are done more so on the left part of the brain, some that are operated more so on the right part of the brain, and some yeah. uh, that are done more so in the front or the back. And this is all true. Yes. Yes. And yet at the same time, uh, trying to match people's personalities to certain parts of the brain generally just leads to people making up stuff that's not scientifically accurate. Again, from what I've read recently. Um, okay. And so there are certain ideas that, you know, if you, I think, say something into one ear, it'll get processed differently than if you say it into the other ear because a different part of the brain will process it. That's just not true. The No, I can imagine that's not true. Yeah, but yeah. just in general with things like that, the different parts of the brain are always working together. Um, and so they are, and it, it's weird that it, they are all working together. Although there there are separations, but you can get through those separations with certain things like, um, and well, they they've known this for quite a while. But eye movement actually can help connect the different parts of the brain. Hmm. Um, there's actually a lot of significant work in recovery and uh, trauma therapy recovery people with PTSD and such. Um, or really with uh, any kind of traumatic problems. Um, I think it's EMDR therapy, but it's um, a method of of trauma recovery that actually works much more rapidly than simple talk therapy. Um, And for people who, again, a a lot of trauma therapy, but uh, just about any kind of problem recovery, um, there's certain apparatus machinery that your eyes follow back and forth. And as they talk you through different uh, stages in life or traumatic events or whatever, your brain processes information differently because of the eye movement, you're accessing different parts of the brain that wouldn't necessarily have connected because because of the trauma, you're disconnected. So you're, you're reintegrating yourself in the different parts of your brain through eye movement. It's really interesting. Huh. I'll have to look into that. That's curious. I actually hadn't heard much about that. Huh. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And with that, here's Rocket Man. She packed my bags. Last night, pre-flight. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be... high. As a kite by then. the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space on such a It's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man burning out his fuse out here. Alone. And I think it's going to be a long, long time. 
to touch down brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, I'm a rocket man. Rocket man, burning out his fuse out here alone. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. And I think it's gonna be Speaking of trauma recovery, I think we're going to need some after yeah, that. Yeah, gosh, what was Bill Shatner <laughs> thinking? What's Shatner good for anyway? Well, he's he's good for sci-fi, in my opinion. Well, this well, little quick little backstage mm. moment, folks. So we, we sort of have an itinerary that we're going through as we're recording this show. Yes, and and we've listed William Shatner in quotations singing Rocket Man, and I think that Google Docs is a little aware of what we're doing because the word singing, even though it's spelled correctly, is marked as no, there's no singing involved there. There's a red underline. Yes, Google Docs does not allow me to follow William Shatner with the word singing. It does not agree that William Shatner is singing Rocket Man. It's true. (laughs) I think you and I can agree on that. Yeah, I'm glad we're all in agreement there. Anyway... Um, the reason why I bring up William Shatner is because we wanted to talk a little bit about sci-fi. It's kind of cheating to bring this up, but we we both have it our... It is nowhere near the network it used to be. That's not what I meant. Oh. I, I'm not talking about S-Y-F-I. I'm talking about the significantly... S-Y-F-F-I-T-F? You made me think about it. I'm so <laughs> confused. Yes. Darn ya. Forget ah. this. S-C-I-F-I. Science fiction. Now... I've got just a few lists of some of my favorite moments from uh, sci-fi movies and TV shows. Steve doesn't because he doesn't care about you. (laughs) Um, That's what it boils down to. So I'll go through my list quickly, and then I'll try to get a few of Steve's favorite moments out of him. Um, Just to to throw in an honorable mention real fast, I wanted to put something in this list from The Twilight Zone, but I couldn't really think of something aside from whole episodes. Yeah, it's hard because... Isolating one moment, you lose the context of yeah. really why that episode is interesting. You know, but we could just say most given episodes of the Twilight. Zone. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I particularly like Shadow Play for one. That's a fun one. Um, yeah. Anyway, also I'm excluding Mystery Science Theater 3000 from this list because that deserves its own list, if not its own podcast episode. It's just kind of its own category, and it's not very science based. Because, right, yeah. I mean, you, you can't wonder how they eat and breathe in other science facts. You just can't focus on that. No, so, no you can't. So, you have to relax and just, yeah. Yeah. So this list ended up being pretty much just Star Trek and Doctor Who for me. But anyway, so uh, counting from five up to one, we've got uh, the punk on the bus from Star Trek Four. I... I know I'm biased here because I'm a Muppet fan, and it's Kirk Thatcher who is playing the punk on the bus and also uh, wrote or co-wrote and uh, co-recorded, I guess, the song that the punk on the bus is playing in that scene. But it's it's a classic scene from Star Trek IV, uh, The Voyage Home, in which Kirk and Spock are stuck in the 80s, 
and... Oh, again, I hate telling you about this because I feel like I'm spoiling the movie. I hate to do that to you listeners because it's such a funny movie. It's their... It's their... I think it's designed to be their funniest movie in the series. It's really great. Really worth watching. But yeah, that scene in particular stands out partly because it's Kirk Thatcher and partly because it's Spock having a great interaction that mostly right. just consists of the Vulcan death I was grip. just talking about this yesterday with some friends. Yes. Yeah. I love that, that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's also in that movie is Spock trying to understand how to swear in a way that seems natural. There are yes. so many things from that film I could bring up. Oh, so many. All those movies. I love all those movies. Particularly with Spock. Many reasons, yes. Uh, you love Five? I'll, I'll even take... No, I'll take all of them, really. Wow. Yeah. All right. I really... Yeah, I'm down. Okay, then. Let's all sing Row, Row Your Boat Right Now. No. Um, so there's an episode of Doctor Who out there called Let's Kill Hitler. And great title for an episode. In fact, I kind of stole it when I entitled an episode of... Ele- or Let's Talk Muppets, Let's Kill Statler. You did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my That makes sense favorite... now. I've never... I haven't seen two episodes of Doctor Who. Mm. Well, you have to see Blink at some point. That's not on this list, but you have to see that. Because well, it's such a cleverly I, written notice, episode. Notice that I said I haven't seen two episodes. Yeah. That's the one episode that I have seen. Did it creep you out too much? Turn you yes, off? It was, no, I loved it. It was great. I just... It's 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 an intimidating to me because <laughs> there are so yeah. many episodes of that show now. Well, you, it's like, I'm sorry. You're, I, I don't, you're not expected got, to go through the whole classical, the, all the classics because you can't find all those episodes. They produce so many that a lot of them are lost out in warehouses, right. who knows where or lost forever. So you're not expected Indiana to Jones be warehouses. Yes. You, you're, you're not expected to be completely familiar with classic stuff. A little bit of familiar uh, familiarity is good, but if you start with nine, I'll get around to it, and that's what everybody tells me. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a nice show. Um, So I love the title. Let's kill Hitler. Um, I I don't know if it's quite as good of a title as the other episode entitled "Dinosaurs on a Spaceship," but I think it's probably it's probably better. Probably just a little Mm. better. Has a little more punch to it, and you get lines like um, uh, the Doctor telling Rory to put Hitler in the cupboard, which he then does very awkwardly. Um, such an awkward thing to tell someone to do. Um, and then there's a, a great line that has become quite the meme in the Doctor Who community. Um, it's when River Song is in... Well, she, obviously they're in the time of Hitler. They're in Germany during World War II. And she... Is it springtime? It is springtime, yes. And but, fun fact, I actually have a Latin jazz instrumental recording of Springtime for Hitler by Henry Mancini, the guy who did Moon River and the Pink Panther theme. Yes, I believe that you do. I do. I love it. It's great. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, uh, the character River Song, uh, who's kind of witty and very much her own person who does not allow herself to be manipulated very much and doesn't take orders very well or anything like that, she is questioned by these Nazis and, uh, you know, just about what she's up to, and her response is perfect. I'm going to play it right now. Well, I was on my way to this gay gypsy bar mitzvah for the disabled when I suddenly thought, gosh, the third rice a bit rubbish. I think I'll kill the Führer. Who's with me? All right, the only other thing from Doctor Who I'm going to throw on this list real fast is uh, in the first full episode with David Tennant, the 10th Doctor, um, in which he tries to express to these aliens 
that the human race, you know, is valuable. You can't just go killing a bunch of them. And when he tries to express their importance, he finds himself accidentally quoting a song. And it's at this moment when I realized that I love this doctor. Because whenever you change the actor who plays a main character on a show, it's a, it's a big deal. It throws you off. Um, and this is the moment when the show was able to earn my trust in this doctor, and it made me realize everything's okay. I'm going to like this guy. We're going to be fine. So that's why it's a big deal to me. I'll play a little bit right now. Look at these people. These human beings. Consider their potential. From the day they arrive on the planet and blinking step into the sun, there is more to see than can ever be seen. More to do than... No, hold on. Sorry, that's the Lion King. But the point still stands. Another Star Trek thing I have to throw in is the ending... Well, not the, necessarily the very end, but the climax of the, the episode of the original series, I mean to say. Um, I, Mud, possibly my favorite episode. This is the second one in mm. which Mud shows up, one of the villains they encounter. The only really just silly, goofy, campy villain who's supposed to be that way on the original series that I know of. Mm. Um, and they have to confuse these robots that are holding them hostage, because if they confuse the robots with enough horrible logic that doesn't make any sense to them, the robots just shut down. So they put on this crazy performance in which they're, like, playing some sort of a baseball game or something, and then one of them pretends to die, and they all laugh because their friend has died, and then he just gets back up and everything's fine. They just for this one moment become total loony bins waltzing around and it is hilarious to me it is absolutely delightful because you think of star trek as a, a, a usually a somewhat serious show or at least it tries to be serious kind of like a soap opera in many ways um which is why pigs of space was played as though it was a soap opera um and then you get this episode in which they just say darn it we're gonna be as silly as we need to be and it's great. Um, and then one last Star Trek thing. This is the last thing on my list. The, the big one that stands out to me. And it's cheating for me to say this, but I got to say it. Anything with Q. Of course. Q yeah. just kills it. It's very, very rare that there's a moment with Q that I don't like. Very often I love it. If, if I had to try to boil it down, though, to the main ones that stand out, there's the moment when um, Q is in bed with Picard. Mm-hmm. He, he, he just wakes up, rolls over, and there's Q. Um, and the other one is when Q is presumed to be dead, and suddenly he appears in the middle of, their sh of the bridge playing a trumpet with a mariachi band. I knew you were going to say that uh -huh. one. Uh-huh. I had to do it. I had to do it. I love it, partly because Picard's reaction to it is so funny. He's just... He's just not having it. I mean, Q just snaps his fingers and suddenly everyone has cigars in their hands. Mm-hmm. And Picard's just like, you will stop all this at once. And Q goes, but I feel like celebrating. I don't! <laughs> oh, I, I mean, Sir Patrick Stewart really is one of my favorite actors. He is a, well, a, a, just an absolute delight. If you want, I can go through some of my favorite uh, sci-fi TV show you know moments. What? Sure, they're, 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 why not? They're quick. Okay, so, okay why so. not? Um, well, I would have to say one of my favorites is uh, Pigs in Space, when they fly through the Dumbo Rays, 
Mm, yeah. And uh, they're flying through the field of demo rays, which will uh, not affect anyone who uh, so not affect anyone who is already smart. I think is. It, yeah, is I think it that's how it works. It only yeah. affects really, really stupid people. Yes, and so no, no one on the ship is affected besides Link Hogthrop, of course. So, so there's that one. Um, another uh, favorite moment is uh, in the show Pigs in Space, actually, oh. where um, Mark Hamill and C-3PO mm -hmm. and R2-D2 come through, and, and it becomes a big Star Wars song and dance by the end of it. And yeah. Of course, that's also Gonzo's appearance as uh, Darth Nader. Probably the best episode of Pigs in Space, honestly. It's Probably really, the best one. It's really um, good, yeah. It's a neat show. Yeah, yeah. I like that show. Um, the other, another uh, favorite one is the show Pigs in Space. Oh, I don't know where, that one. Uh, Miss Piggy's face actually turns into a cake mm. at one point, and I thought that was really funny because then you see her uh, in the next scene in backstage of the Muppet Show, and her face is still a cake. So I'm not exactly sure how they resolved yeah, that. Yeah, I'm but, not sure um, about that one. But that was a, a lot of fun. Um, and then there was another moment when uh, Dr. Bob actually operated on a duck, hmm. and there was a recurring joke because he said he's a chicken, and the duck would pop up. I'm not a chicken, I'm a duck. What? Duck! And everyone, wow! Hmm. Oh, sorry, that was Vets Hospital. That wasn't actually... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't seem... No. Like. That, that's pretty much it for me. Oh, okay. Though. Yeah. Wow. Are you capable of talking about anything that isn't Muppet related? Uh, not on your show. No. Oh, I see. Yeah. Good to know. Yes. And now I understand. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who'd like to understand the universe, here is a song that will briefly explain the universe. Listen to this. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid obnoxious or daft and you feel that you've had quite enough just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour that's orbiting at 19 miles a second so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power the sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day in an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars. It's a hundred thousand light years side to side. It bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz 
as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth and pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space cause there's bugger all down here on earth so I wanted to bring up, just real briefly, I know this really isn't the focus of the show, but I did want to bring up um, the Reason Rally that I attended in D.C. a month or two ago. Um, we, we briefly touched on it before, and so I just wanted to try to elaborate a little bit that this was a nice, fun gathering for a whole bunch of skeptical people. The skeptics and the humanists and the lovers of reason and all that uh, kind of decided to come together. So uh, Penn Jillette of Penn & Teller was there. And he gave this, he, he actually presented with a special guest a song that he wrote that I thought was kind of neat. Um, and then he introduced James Randi, and it was a really heartfelt introduction. I think you'll hear it when I play that shortly. Um, but yeah, he was clearly tearing up. He, he, he really, really cares about James Randi. That man is a huge yeah. inspiration to him. Um, and Bill Nye was there. Bill Nye gave this great, passionate speech, and just when you thought his passion couldn't be matched, then mm -hmm. John DeLancey went up there, and by the way, that is the actor who plays Q on Star Trek. I was Trek. wondering if we were going to mention that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he also gave a very impassioned uh, presentation that I thought was great, very uh, fun, well-written. He, he actually introduced himself saying, I am John DeLancey and I am a god, or at least I play one on TV. Right. Just a very a clever way to introduce himself. It was, it was neat. It was a, a neat event, a fun time. Got to see a lot of cool people. Um, I got my picture with physicist Lawrence Krauss. Um, it was just, it was neat. It was fun. And here's a tiny little clip from that right now. Uh, this next person I'm going to introduce uh, is impossible for me to exaggerate about. Um, there's no one in the world outside of my family that means more to me. Um, if it were not for this man, uh, I would not exist. There would be no pen and teller. Uh, oh, it. Amazing Randy! I'm sorry, I just can't pull it together. Different authorities and quite unqualified celebrity figures have argued that the mercury compounds once used as preservatives in some vaccines triggered it, specifically the measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine, a notion now completely disproven, but still embraced by some. In March 1992, I was contacted by Dr. Anne M. Donellan, then with the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who told me about a situation in which she was deeply involved. What little I already knew about FC indicated to me that she was very, very misdirected and self-deceived. I told her that the security of the children involved in this research must have priority, of course, and stated that if I became part of the investigation, that would have to be the primary consideration. I also said that I would gladly participate without any remuneration other than my basic costs of travel and accommodation. She explained to me the difficulty of communication with the autistic children 
due to apraxia, the inability to perform simple coordinated physical actions, though the muscular ability is present. She told me that facilitated communication consists of the facilitator, an adult clinician or scientist, being in physical contact with the child while the child has access to an augmentative device, a computer keyboard, typewriter, alphabet blocks, letter chart, etc., which the child would be unable to manipulate sufficiently well to communicate. She said that certain children had shown remarkable abilities under FC, expressing ideas and concepts that had formerly been believed to be far beyond their abilities. Well, I told her that I felt the researchers might be under the influence of the clever Hans effect, in which the facilitator, in this case, might be unknowingly transmitting the sought-after responses to the child. This suggestion was emphatically denied, and I was told that every care had been taken to ensure that this was not possible. Her enthusiasm for this point was quite contagious, but I was immune to such an infection. I'd already seen several videos of facilitated communication procedure being used on narcissistic kids. The adult facilitator grasps the hand, get this picture now, grasps the hand of the child with the child index finger extended out over the keyboard of the computer. In almost every case, the child is looking away, uninvolved in the procedure, often babbling or screaming as the facilitator studies the keyboard and simply uses the subject's finger as the tool with which he or she is typing. It's abundantly obvious that the child is not typing. You know, I think with that we've hit all the main things that I wanted to discuss in this show. I think that's about everything, Steve. I think it is, yes. So uh, We probably just... just explained the science of the whole universe. We did. And we did it in like an hour and a half or less. We didn't do it well, but we did well, try. Well, that's fair, yeah. But, you know, we, yeah. we tried. Hey, we this did. was something different for us, Steve, because generally right, exactly. we're only talking about, at least on mic, on the real podcast production, we hardly ever talk about anything that isn't a Muppet movie or Muppet TV show or, or just a, a movie or TV show in general. We're always talking about silly entertainment. But it was nice yeah, we, to try throwing in some other things. It was nice to try, yes. I think we learned something today. <laughs> I didn't learn anything. It was anything. a lot of fun. It, it was well, a lot I, of fun, and I think when it's all it edited was. together, it will be at the very least listenable. I, um, I sincerely hope so. But yes. it, I'm just, I'm, I'm very interested in giving our listeners the opportunity to hear some other sides of us and who we are and what we think about and talk about that they may not have known before. Right. So I, I, I hope we did that. I hope we made ourselves more interesting by talking about something less interesting. Well, I don't think we did that. But well, I, I think that it gave them. I think it gave people a window into uh, another side of the conversations that we sometimes have. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully, we did. I hope so. Yeah. We didn't touch very much on um, on the arc. Have you heard about the arc? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that. So we're not going to talk about. I want to. I want to hear the debate that Bill and I had uh, unplanned on the spot with Ken Ham for like two hours be... walking around in the arc. I, there's got to be video of that out there somewhere, or at least there will be soon. Um, yeah, we'll see. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. If it, but until if it that time. Out. Yes, until that time, I'm J.D. Hansel, and you are... 
Steve Swanson. You can find me at MuppetCast.com, and you can find more conversations like this. Well, not quite like this, but a little bit like this over at Backstage Pod, the Backstage Podcast. Yes, and of course, I'm J.D. Hansel. You can subscribe to, I guess, the Let's Talk Whatever feed in iTunes by going to jdhansel.com slash iTunes. And of course, please follow me on Twitter. I love it when I get to tweet stuff about this at you guys and actually have you, you know, listen and care. Because I don't only want to talk about Muppets, you know. I do have other things that are interesting to talk about. No, you don't. Stop. Okay, you're you're right. But if, you, if you've got something interesting you'd like to talk about with me, any questions or comments, anything at all, please send me an email at uh, jd11pc at gmail.com. That's my more personal email. I used to give that on 11pc all the time, so I might as well go ahead and give it now. And I think that about wraps up Let's Talk Science. I'm pretty proud of this. I think we've done good, Steve. All right. All right. Yes, so I'll, I'll, I'll see you next time, Steve. I'll see you listeners next time, except I won't because it's a podcast. But for now, I'm J.D. Hansel, and I'm going to take over the world. Nice. I had nice. no idea what I was going to do until I did it. That's, uh, that's good. Yes. It was, I should have good planned that in advance, but it kind of worked. Yeah. It, right. You know, it's interesting that um, the one time that we were already talking about science and philosophy and stuff is when we came back from the commercial break not talking about it at all. I know. I hope someone catches that. Well, they, Nobody if, if they hear it right now, then they'll think back and go, oh yeah, that was okay, stupid. That's possibly. Yeah, that was stupid. Okay. How is it reasonable in the 21st century that the state of Kentucky can give $18 million tax break to Ken Ham to build a life-size replica of Noah's Ark? But government isn't supporting the Starship, for example, that's currently being designed and which I'm happy to be involved in, that will send a small satellite to the nearest star in the lifetime of the people in this room. That's something worth supporting. And they don't support the amazing feat of my friend Elon Musk whose first stage rocket, if you watched it last week, landed on a small floating platform from space in the middle of the ocean. It's amazing. Is it reasonable that the United States is the only advanced country in the world where one entire leading political party has as part of its platform the denial of basic science, the science of climate change? How is it reasonable that journalists let the putative standard bearer of that party, Donald Trump, call climate change a Chinese hoax, but not widely publicize that his company has requested that two of its waterfront properties have the right to build higher retaining walls to combat rising sea levels that are due to human-induced climate change? How is it reasonable that I'm talking about Donald Trump today? How is it reasonable to claim that a small group of microscopic cells have greater rights than the human being they're a part of? How is it reasonable that Catholic hospitals can be allowed to choose to let women die rather than end their pregnancies or give them access to contraceptive health care? 
standing here in the shadow of the building that houses the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, and in the shadow of Lincoln, how is it reasonable to claim that the denial of fundamental human rights for some people is an act of personal freedom? These questions are, uh, are unfortunate, and the answer to all of them, of course, is it's not reasonable. And it's caused many people to be resigned to a miserable future. Well, the far future is miserable. Get over it. But we are gathered here today to celebrate the fact that the answer to these questions, while it's a resounding no, we are here because we want the world to know the answer is no. And I don't really mean any disrespect or, or, or any pretense here, but I can't resist because of the historical significance of where we are today. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day reason will determine public policy. I have a dream that someday children are encouraged to reach their full potential by providing them the tools they need to learn and encouraging them to question everything. I have a dream that someday the human rights of all citizens will be equally valued. I have a dream that someday no ideas will be sacred that there's no idea that cannot be subject to ridicule, satire, and open questioning. I have a dream where religious institutions which use most of their funding to grow their base are taxed like all other businesses. I have a dream where science is not a threat, but an asset for everybody. We won't get to this dream simply by rallying. But rallying is more important than many of you may realize. It's fun to be here, and I've enjoyed meeting so many of you today. And I get hundreds of letters, however, from children and adults every week from around the world who tell me they watched the last Reason Rally because of the unbelievers, and they now know they're not alone. But more important, they know they're not bad people simply because they question the existence of God. But today's rally alone is not sufficient. Some of us on this stage, like me, are fortunate to have a fairly big bully pulpit. But each and every one of you can have an impact on the world. From your schools, your offices, your churches if you attend them, go forth from here and feel emboldened. Don't accept nonsense with silence just because others around you do. Don't vote for candidates who base their claims on ideology alone, whether they're from the left or the right. Speak out openly. Object to teachers who refuse to teach proper science. Don't buy into the idea that it's inappropriate to criticize religious ideas just because they're religious. Feel free to openly ridicule any idea that deserves ridicule. Remember, criticizing ideas is not the same as criticizing people, except in the case of Donald Trump. Openly demand every place and at all times equal rights for all people to nurture their own humanity and achieve their full potential as human beings who can think, feel, love, and question. If we carry the excitement of this event today, we'll only do it if we make our voices heard so that everyone who questions orthodoxy, and in some deep place, that really is everyone on the planet. So all those people will know that they're not alone.
that they're not bad people. Only then will the dream of reason as a guide for public policy have a hope of becoming real. If we do all this, then in the words of my good friend, a fellow atheist, Nobel Prize winning physicist, Steven Weinberg, then only then will you be doing God's work. Thank you very much for the privilege once again of being here and the joy of sharing all of this with you. Nothing could be more important for me. Thank you very much. Lawrence Krauss.